Hello, my name is 4020. This is TCT's The Tip Sheet. Joining me as always is my mate, uh, 60s. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing real well, mate. It's another win in the bank. Yeah. Another round, two points. Round 12 wasn't pretty, but we got there. So let's get into the action. Uh, Parramatta Eels 18, defeat the Canterbury Bulldogs 16. Uh, try scorers for Parramatta was Quentin Gufferson with a double and Mitch Moses getting his name on the try scorer sheet. Uh, Moses free from free from the kicking tee. Um, the dogs got uh, Raymond Fitella Mariner, Jake Avarillo for sensational to put down in the corner, and then Marcelo Montoya uh, scoring three tries themselves, and obviously conversions being the point of difference. All right, first uh, first point of discussion. What do you got for me, mate? Well, I think on the on the surface it was a bog average first half from the dogs, with uh, Para returning the favour in the second half. My big take out of this is that I really thought this was a a match of moments. Now put aside you know, errors and things like that because every team makes errors. And I think what was our what was our completion rate? It was so around uh, eighty possession possession rate was fifty four percent of the dogs, which means that we had fifty forty six percent obviously, basic maths there. Um uh, time possession heavily favoured the dogs, thirty three minutes to twenty eight and eight seconds. And completion rates were actually pretty similar. Uh seventy eight percent for the Eels, so thirty one of forty completed and the dogs had 81%, 34 of 42. So obviously their sets went for longer on the back of those, uh, I'd say those set restart calls they got, because with only two sets difference, that doesn't re- equate to that eight-point swing in possession. Yes, and this is the the point that I wanted to make, was there wasn't anything that stood out in terms of completion rate. Normally, if you got a completion rate up around that 80%, you're, you're travelling not too bad at all. However, within those incomplete sets or even moments where it wasn't an issue of completion but it was an an issue of possession, there were significant moments and each team made the other team pay. Now, let me just run through some of these. In the first half, Lafay loses the ball in the tackle. Moses scores in the very next set. DWZ plays the ball backwards and the Eels score in the very next play. Lafay is penalised for a tackle on Gutho, 10 metres out from the Eels' line. The Eels go downfield and score. That's the first three tries of the game. Now, here we go, paying it back to them. Fergo gets driven back in goal. Tytala Mariner scores. Lane gets the ball stolen off him uh, by Lewis after taking an intercept. There's a try four tackles later. Marnie loses the ball in a tackle five metres out on the dog's line. I think it was the third tackle. They march upfield and score. Each of those points in the game, the other team gave uh, territory or possession to their opposition and they were made to pay immediately. It was one of those games where I could not believe the immediate impact of a moment. Yeah, I mean, that, that, it's a good point. It's that sort of is corollary to what happened against Manly, where we sort of spotted them 16 points on the back of those moments. Almost, I think it was three moments as well, so three tries, three moments. So, yeah, it, I'm a little bit disappointed because it feels like we hadn't learned our lesson from the last few weeks, and we came out off that 10-day turnaround, which was essentially a buy, and we just we weren't juiced up the way I thought we would be. We weren't you know ready to put the dogs away on the back of a, a polished all-around performance, and we sort of did that for 20 minutes, and then we just went away from it. So, yeah, it, it, that game left me very bemused. Um, we just do you think? Do you think there's an element of 
well, this is at a point in the season where we're normally looking at, you know, the origin period where these teams are starting to get buys. Every team goes through, let's, if we don't call it a slump, we call it a little bit of a lapse in... A lull, a lapse. A, a like, lull, yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it's, this isn't unique to the Eels. If you look across the NRL, we're seeing very similar stuff across other, you know, would-be contenders and heavyweights. I think um, you could probably argue that the Melbourne Storm have been travelling the, the most polished out of all the contenders this year. But Penrith struggled against the Titans and the Cowboys. We saw the Roosters and we get upset by the Titans this week. And even in weeks prior, they've been struggling. I know that injuries have taken their toll as well. But yeah, all the top eight teams, barring perhaps the Storm, have um, started to almost hit that banana peel point in the, um, the season, haven't they? Yes. And the other take that I um, have from this game, I'm going to say it was a good win to get. Not because we weren't playing at our best, but because we beat the dogs and the dogs traditionally give us a run for our money. Last year, they got us in the return game, which happened to be a home game. It's never an easy easy task against the dogs. And as far as I'm concerned, if you get two points, and I don't care what the form is like, if you get two points and you're sitting up there with 10 wins from 12 games... There's 13 other teams out there who would love to be in yeah, the exact exactly. position that the Eels are in right now. I'm, I'm going to grumble and, and complain about the game for sure during this podcast, but at the end of the day, you get that W, and you, like you said, you consolidate that uh, that spot at the top of the ladder, keeps in the hunt for the minor premiership. There is there is a limit to how much you should complain. Um, but don't get me wrong, there is stuff that we can take out of this game. And you sort of spoke about the dogs there and and our historical matches up matchups with them recently. And I can't really put my finger on why it's such a uh, such a odd matchup for us because in round one of this season there was no doubt the dogs came out fired up and really challenged us physically. But if you should look look back at some of those other games, I don't feel looking at the tape that the dogs do anything particularly disruptive against us. But we always seem to just forget how to play the game that the game plan that really plays to our strengths against them. And you know we we don't get expansive to our wingers. We almost make them complete non factors during any sort of game against the dogs. And that happened this week as well, where we saw Mankasevo and Blake Ferguson are sort of afterthoughts there. And indeed, Mankasevo's only team he hasn't scored against at this point is the Canterbury Bulldogs. So it's a historical element there too across the season and a half that he's played. But yeah, I don't I know. don't see that. Can I just interrupt you and say, based on Sevo's form yesterday, I don't see that statistic changing very much in the near future because he just doesn't seem to get involved against the Dogs. Yeah, so I, I don't know what it is because like I said, I don't think the Dogs have been any in terms of overt disruption to our game plan, it's not there. So I, I then put it on us mentally that we just don't, we don't match up well for dogs games. And that is a, a challenge for the coaching staff and for the players. There's a couple of players that I would, from the dogs that I would like to highlight that seem to, in the last couple of years, consistently perform well against us. And the first one is Lachlan Lewis. Now there's many games where, he can look like he's bog average. And against the Eels, he's given time. Yeah. He seems to have time on his side. Which is weird for a team that has been notably aggressive in defense and looking to capitalize on line speed. And we just we seem to give him all the time in the world. Well, if you look at the respective halves from yesterday's game, 
you would have to say that the Bulldogs' halves had far, a far more dominant effect on the game than the Eels' halves did. Yeah, I think that's fair. Just, that, that, obviously, Mitchell Moses had his moments, but yeah, he, I'm not denying that, that, yeah. that there were moments. But if I was to look at the control that the respective halves had within the game, I would say that the Dogs' halves, um, their game management was a little bit better than the Eels at, at certain times. Don't get me wrong, the they didn't do enough to win the game. So I have to, you know, I'm going to preface it with that. They still didn't do enough to win the game. But uh, Lachlan Lewis looked like a first-grade halfback yesterday. And perhaps he is. Perhaps Dean Pay was someone who chopped and changed his team so much that he wasn't allowed to settle. It's interesting that as soon as Steve Georgialis has taken over as the interim coach, that he was straight back to using Lachlan Lewis in the halves. I, I would argue you're taking a long bow there, but there, it's certainly in the I'll stamp it with the remains to be seen sort of uh, tag at the moment because I, I haven't got a high rating of Lewis. I think that he's an effort player and that's always fantastic, but I don't think he's polished enough as a playmaker and I think that reflects more on us and our approach to the game than it does on the coaches over there. But it's definitely one to watch with George Alice at the helm there. Yeah, and as I said, I... I'm probably not quite phrasing this as correctly as I should because I don't entirely disagree with you in the assessment about Lewis because, as I said to you, I think there's been plenty of times in the past he's looked very average against other teams. I think his best games have been reserved for the Eels and whether that's a reflection of his ability or whether it's a reflection of our inability to shut him down or at least... It's a reflection of us giving him far too much time. I'm not sure, but I'd, every time we've played him, I'd put him in the category of one of their better players on the field. Mm. And um, speaking of better players, Parramatta did have a couple of blokes that turned up at least, otherwise I wouldn't have gotten the win. Um, Brad Arthur singled out applause or praise in the postgame for, and, and this is in the postgame presser, which is very unusual for him, but for Junior Paulo and Reagan Campbell-Gillard. And said that he'd been sort of holding, sitting on that uh, acclaim for a few weeks now, but didn't want it to go by the by. And um, he said that both of them have been fantastic, and he wouldn't know or could, didn't know how the club would be going without them there. And that's you know fair, I think fair words because I think I think the words that he uh, the other words that he used about he wouldn't swap them for any other prop in the competition. Exactly. Is that is, is very big reflective of how I would feel as well. I think a lot of fans I think a lot of fans would be right there with um you and Brad and myself because across the course of this season we've just seen so many fantastic efforts that seem to just defy belief um when these two players just dig so deep into their, their reservoirs and carry the team and create that platform. And there's a lot of good uh, prop tandems out there, but if you're looking at the sort of duality of their skill set between juniors ball playing ability and obviously that second phase element, and then Reg is just insane engine. They complement each other so well, and they, they create that foundational building block for the rest of the team, don't they? When Junior is on song, I don't think there's another prop in the game who can go with him. He has the odd game where a pass might miss the mark, or because he's looking to offload so much, sometimes his ability, uh, he loses the ball just a little bit in the contact. But when he's on song like he was yesterday and he's 
he's causing as much damage with his damage with his runs, with his hit ups, as he is with the offloads. And the defence just seemed to hang off him because he's got the mesmerised. Is he going to charge through the meat of the ruck, or is he going to link? Is he going to pop the ball to a support runner? The impact that he had in the game, he was definitely the difference between uh, winning and losing as far as I'm concerned because on the times where we needed to turn the Bulldogs around and have them on their back foot, he was the one that put his hand up to say, Get me, give me the ball. And consistently, Junior, I mean, Reg has been fantastic in his own right and has brought something very different to the team, which we just talked about with his engine and his, you know, just complete go forward throughout the entire course of the game but regular throughout the season it's being junior that Brad's turned to to turn a game in that second stint when he feels like the game might be getting just away from Parramatta he will re-inject junior back into the game and give him that license to tear it up through the middle and I think uh, the credit to the Fox commentary team and I wasn't sure if it was Warren Smith off the top of my head or Dan Ganane uh, but given that it was Indigenous round they made a, a fantastic comparison with junior's ball playing that opening try um, where you know he goes to the line, takes on two or three defenders, and just slips a brilliant offload to Mitchell Moses, and you know naturally who who would be the most high profile Indigenous player you could be compared to historically as a prop forward? Yeah, yeah, it's the one and only Artie Beach. That's right. We you know one time Parramatta legend as well. By the way, not a, not a Sydney Rooster legend, Parramatta legend. <laughs> but um, yeah, Artie Beetson, and that one really struck with me because you you can definitely see that so light on the foot or light on the feet for a big man. You know, the silky ball skills and just the ability to take control of a game from as a prop, which is just, you know, not not that common, is it? Not at all. Just on RCG, that phrase of laying the platform, you'd almost have a picture of RCG in an NRL playbook next to the words laying the platform because I think that sums up his play as a prop forward. What he's brought to the Parramatta Eels is that constant hitting the ball up, bending the line. You can see that his post-contact metres, and not just his running metres, his post-contact metres are insane this year. It's something that our forwards just haven't had in the past. They're really the perfect foil for each other, uh, Junior and RCG. Obviously, Junior's far more of a ball player. It's not to say that Reg can't pop the ball. Or no, he, or he's certainly got an offload in him, but it's just not to the... And that's not a knock because I think 99.9% of prop forwards haven't got the offload that Junior has. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you, you know that you've got a point of difference between the two of them. And there's been far too many times in the past when you've looked at the Parramatta pack and gone, well, they're sim- they're, this bloke's similar to this bloke who's similar to this bloke who's similar to this bloke. There was so much that was the same within the Parramatta pack. And right now, we can look at each of those players as, as a unique contributor to the efforts of the forwards. That's right. Okay, so things I didn't like extended from that game, just quickly. Uh, right edge defence, it stunk. And the dog should have taken more advantage of it, and thankfully they didn't. Um, I'm not sure what we do to fix it, but it's been an error or an issue of errors for this team throughout the course of the season, hasn't it? And um, I think it, we, we pointed out it probably starts with Wonga Blake. It's interesting looking at Wonga Blake across this season because in defence, 
he's absolutely rocks and diamonds. Some weeks, it's like he is switched on with his reads, with his jams, you know, shutting down plays. And then other weeks, it's like he's completely all at sea. He doesn't know whether he's coming in, whether he should stay out, whether he should stay where he is. It leaves Moses posted. It leaves Fergo posted. It's not like they're not working on it. I can assure you they're working on defensive strategies. And some weeks it works with Wanga, and it's like some weeks he's forgotten to read the playbook for defence. Yeah, and it's been, because it's been an ongoing issue, like, like you said, they've obviously been trying to address it at training. But whatever happening is just not translating one to one to the playing field. Yeah, and I'd say you're getting glimpses in certain games where you can see what ideally he is capable of doing in defence. That, as I said, reading that play really well, jamming in, big impact in the tackles. And then you're getting the complete opposite the next week where he's indecisive where the moments that he does decide to come in, all he's, leaving, all he's doing is leaving someone posted, where he might be grabbing at the player rather than going for the hit. So it's a difficult proposition to know exactly what should be done. What we do know is that he's offering so much in attack and that I really believe that Brad Arthur is someone who can make a difference to him in defence. It's just obviously still a work in progress. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and, you know, they're, they're going to be working at it until the pro season because it's going to be sort of make or break for us, I think, at some points and during those do-or-die games. But um, continuing on with things that I didn't like from that game, game management. Uh, I thought that Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown started off strongly and then when, you know, the game got into a grind, what that should be their bread and butter plays, you know, kicking deep and getting that kick chase organised, we sort of just went away from it. And allowed the dogs to get some, you know, big 40, 50 meter kick returns off their goal line. And that's probably when we were talking before, and I was discussing that I thought the Canterbury halves maybe overshadowed the Eels halves. Maybe I was giving far too much credit to the Canterbury halves for that, whereas, in fact, I should have been more critical of the Eels halves in that regard. Mm. So, it's, it's yeah, an rather, interesting little, yeah, subversion there, isn't it, uh, insofar as who deserves the credit or the criticism. But, yeah, Parramatta, so there was some, you know, you saw brilliance there. You saw that fantastic little inside kick from uh, Moses to Gufferson on a, a called shot there, which was obviously identified during the week. You love to see those sort of plays because it, it, you know, shows the effort being put in off the field is rewarded on the field for big play. But by the same same token, they just... What like I said, it's their bread and butter is smashing up the middle for three or four tackles with their great forward pack, getting to a kick on the fourth or fifth tackle, driving it downfield and pinning the opposition deep in the half or deep in their red zone rather. And we just went away from that and gave the dogs a chance to to steal a win. And fortunately, we were able to hold on. And the last one I didn't like, and this one's a little bit more. Oh, sorry, you were going to say that? Oh, I just wanted to comment on this, and I and I'm not sure where you're going to for your third one. It's a little bit more lighthearted. Just, don't worry. Oh, okay. <laughs> So the, where I had concerns with, um, with Mitch and Dylan is, look, I should, I should not say, I probably shouldn't say the words concern. With Mitch, the positive that I take from that is that he wasn't going for the big plays 
that mm-hmm. he has traditionally done if a game hasn't quite gone his way. So he wasn't pulling the trigger on ridiculous plays. And then, and you might be able to correct this for me, that uh, Dylan Brown had more possessions than Mitch Moses in the game. Is that correct? Uh, I've got, he's just short of Moses, 44 to 47. So they had an equal uh, split of the, the ball handling duties, which is a little bit of a surprise, yeah. Yeah, and it was one of those games where Dylan probably did a lot more shuffling on of the ball than anything else rather than going for his natural running game. And I wondered whether he's maybe gone a little bit into his shell in terms of... It's a, it's a legitimate question. Um, you know, he's, he's been so good for so long across these first two seasons that it's easy to forget he is a young guy and this might be a case of just, you know, the getting into a little way we talked about for Tim for like a slump or into the grind to an extent. He just needs to find something to sort of reinvigorate himself. And the other question that I have is read service. That's I it. That is a good think point. It's, up, yeah. I, I think it's dropped off uh, somewhat in recent weeks. It's his effort hasn't dropped off. No, defensively he's still right there, but the accuracy of the passes, are, yeah. And even and you talked about it with that the big moments where he sort of jumped out of dummy half looking for that double under decoy sort of option and he just got punched, the ball punched out of his hands. So, Yeah, it was that was possibly a moment that summed up that his dummy half play isn't quite where it needs to be at this point in the season. Now, I'm sure that the long minutes are taking their toll on him. His defensive workload has got to be taking its toll. But we've made a decision that we're not going in with any relief for Reed off the bench. So, And even if we had someone like Raystone available, he's not a specialist hooker, is he? So no, that's right. It puts us in that so awkward spot. It, it certainly does. So whether Brad's looking to give him a bit of a break in any coming weeks or, or you know, give him a week off... I don't know. I I sort of wonder whether it is almost worth a week off for him, just to freshen him up a little bit. Uh, obviously, it then becomes who would you yeah. play in that position? Pick a, po- pick a poison, eh? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the problem. So yeah. Now back to your last last point is the footwear. What's going on? It was dry a dry track, and Mitchell Moses and Michael Jennings are still slipping over. After last week, I could forgive him with the. Uh, of a, the grease and, and slipperiness of uh, Bank West at 8 o'clock at night, but it's a dry track at ANZ and they're still falling over. So, oh, the, the, the boots, mate. Yeah, the boots. I know they've got contracts to wear certain gear and whatnot, but at some point you've got to be able to stay on your two feet. Come on, boys. <laughs> and now that we're talking about a, a strange moments, I'm hoping that our coaches advise Mike Acevo of some of the finer rules of rugby league, oh. <laughs> such as you cannot pass a ball forward over the touchline, else you get penalised. I was waiting for him to get have that moment of being a judge to have thrown the ball forward because as he ran towards the sideline and I could see he was going to fling it, I immediately screamed, no! <laughs> right? There. Could you? I could just picture them being awarded a penalty from about forty meters out or wherever it was, 
taking the kick for goal and, and going, it into, to golden point. Yeah. going into golden point, it would have been one of the more ridiculous endings, the sort of stuff that you see on YouTube yeah. of absurd endings to a game where someone throws a game away with a, with a play that shows absolutely no regard for the context of the game or the rules. So I don't know how you, you saw that whether as it was happening, whether you had heart in the mouth or. Well, or I, I was, I was actually having a, a chuckle at Lachlan Lewis for a, that, like what I would have called a brain dead last tackle play. Cause he literally just hoofed it downfield with none of his team realizing what was happening. And then you had, he's like, wait, wait, what are you doing? Make What are you doing? Oh God. And yeah. And there was that pause at the end of the game because the refs were saying, you right for that pass. And then, you know, backwards out of the hand float forward sort of situation, I suppose. And yeah, just it was the sloppy bow on a on a pretty sloppy game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. So yeah. So what about your um? We've we've touched on um, some of the better moments. So your three two ones. Three two one. I'm going to go junior. He was the difference, I think, between the two teams for the most part. Uh, so he gets the uh, man of the match honors. The two and the one are interesting because Quentin Gufferson was very good. Um, Obviously, limited opportunities to attack because the Eels were playing such scrappy football, but he, he made the most of two tries. So I think I will go Guffo two, and I'll give Reg the one point. I don't think I can disagree with you. I think it's one of those games where there weren't too many other people who stood out. It was probably one of those games where I don't know that anyone had what you'd call a horror match. But trying to find someone to stand out for the three-two-one, I don't think we can go outside of those three. Mm-hmm. Maybe at a pinch, Michael Jennings might have forced his way towards a one. But I, I think I think you've nailed it with with your three selections there, mate. Just on this weekend, Alvaro, Danny Alvaro, and George Jennings. Yeah, they joined the Eels in the WCon, didn't they? Yes. So they've got uh, they've loan period with the Warriors and it's our understanding that that loan is for a four-week period. It could be extended, but it's likely to include a no-compete stipulation. That was right, wasn't it? That, that is how I understood understood it to be laid out in that the club would be happy to explore extending the loan if the Warriors do need that, but they, do not, they don't want to be you know playing against their own players and potentially injuring on either side. You know, Jennings or Alvaro having our boys injured because they played. So. How did you think they performed against the Tigers? Yeah, I mean, Polo obviously is a work rate prop, so coming off the bench isn't always a, a flash look for him, but he did his job. He got, I think he punched out like 80-something metres and brought plenty of um, intensity and effort off the bench. And um, George was really good. Um, he, he wasn't quite perfectly in sync with the back line. There was a couple of times where he could have been right there uh, to sort of get an offload or whatnot, but got through a, a ton of work and, and really tough, you know, tough metres for him and didn't score a try, but did the job for him 100%. I think it's an interesting point in this season about loaning players out to the Warriors or, you know, it could be any club that's in an awkward situation with players. It's interesting from that player welfare perspective. Each team, each club has up to 30 players plus however many development players that they've got within the bubble. And there's going to be players that don't get any game time or absolutely minimal game time. And that's their season. And there's 
they're subjected to exactly the same restrictions as the regular first graders are when it comes to the bubble restrictions in, in their normal lives. And I think it's a well-being situation for finding ways to have them as involved in the football mm. as possible because otherwise they're just rocking up to training. People might think, oh, look, that's not a bad life. I've yeah, you're, you're getting paid six figures to just train. Yeah, to like, just train. Yes, yes, that is fantastic in a vacuum. But then you think about you know, the, the sort of lethargy that sets in because you're, yeah. you know, you're, the lack of fulfillment because you're there but not doing anything. And it, it's a very real thing. And I've, I've seen it firsthand with my old man when he tried to retire from his job for uh, because, because it was old, he ended up going back for another 10, 15 years. Because, yeah. yeah, yes, if you've got money and you can do stuff three times day to day, that's fantastic for a while. But when you're in your prime and your purpose is to go out there and play football because that's your passion, geez, it's, um, like I said, it, it is an actual legitimate welfare being uh, issue. Yeah, and you've got other players as well, like Andy Davey, who was quite candid in saying he had about two weeks left in him of being able to yeah, afford, remain afford to chase within the, dream. the squad. Yeah. Yep. And his his was obviously a financial issue. But as you were saying there, it really becomes a uh, mental well-being issue for a lot of these players because they're, as I said, they're living their life in these bubble restrictions. And yet... What are they making the sacrifice for? They're not getting to play any football. They're they're training, but they're depending on how they're being used at training. It's maybe not exactly fulfilling, which really leads us into you know the importance of well-being within the NRL. This week, when you and I caught up with Eels general manager of football, Mark O'Neill, he was emphasising the importance of player well-being for a club like the Eels. And I think it's a good thing that we've got such a good well-being team that are operating at the club. We've seen David Gower start to move into that area while he's still a player. And then we know fairly well the likes of um, Dean Feeney and, and the great man, the Rev, George Danzi, for anyone that hasn't had a listen to the tip sheet that we did with George. It's well worth a listen when you consider, and that allows you to consider all the things that. Yeah, it, help, it like. helps frame the big picture. And it, I tell it, you what, it's a big picture when you actually look at the logistics of it all. And that's what O'Neill helped explain to us. You just talked yes. about how there's, there's 30 first graders, six development players, all their families and whatnot are also in this in this foot together. Like the whole, it's not just the players, but it's making sure that their relationship with their family stays uh, in the right place because of this bubble. And you figure that there's second grade players that aren't, you know, that are involved in clubs, but aren't there right now. You've got roughly 40 Jersey fake, uh, Jersey fake players. You've got 40 SG ball, 40 Harold Matt players. And then you've got the talent squads beneath that. And the club is entitled to look after each and every one of those men or young men. And it, it's a, a massive jigsaw puzzle and so many moving parts and you know you got to think about you're talking about physical well-being, mental well-being, emotional well-being, and yeah, it, it is absolutely epic in scale, isn't it? It is, and this year is so unique. You look at the sorts of stresses and strains that are placed on players when they have a significant injury and they are up to twelve months out of the game and they're doing their rehab and all they're doing is training. They don't play 
they're away from their usual teammates. Yeah, you're looking at blokes <clears throat> trying to find an equivalent uh, players who have to retire, and they talk about the struggles that that is, where they go from being involved in the game and and their identity is based around being a rugby league player and being identified as a rugby league player by others. And all of a sudden, they don't have that at the moment. In all of these lower-grade players, junior players coming through, the fringe first-grade players, it's almost an equivalent situation to a long-term injury or, or retiring of what they're going through this year. That identity of who they are, to an extent, is taken away. That purpose of what they keep working towards is suddenly, it's this far longer-term goal and one which is perhaps being put up in the air by the fact that a year of football, a year of player development's been taken out of their control if they're working for another contract. Uh, uh, we're not just talking about Parramatta here. We're talking about no, every No, this is club. A, every 16 clubs and then the sort of the clubs underneath them in, in terms of reserve grade and whatnot. This is a absolutely massive task to get these guys and, right. And as I said, we've got some terrific people in the club. Dean Feeney and his role in with he and his wife running the para house with the young kids that they look after that are, are living away from home to play uh, lower levels, lower junior levels of football with the Eels in his role as the coach of the of the flag, in his role as uh, player well-being manager at the club. You've got George Dancy, and we spoke before about his role as, as the rev. It goes far beyond anything to do with faith or religion because not every player is there who's within the club is a person of faith, but they are all treated. Uh, they are all... He, he's there to help every single one of them, regardless of what their question of faith is. And they are incredibly dedicated. I don't think I've ever spoken to either one of them and not seen them smile. They would have to be the most positive in mindset uh, from two blokes that I've ever met through football. So I think the, the club's in a good position with those two fellas uh, at, as a big part of what goes on. Yeah, and I, I did enjoy the, the vision that Mark O'Neill laid out as well. So I think the club's in very good hands between, you know, sort of direct the direct involvement on a micro level and a macro level with the vision they're going towards, which was fantastic to sort of get a, a, a look at, wasn't it? Yes, yes. And now just in, with regard to the mental well-being, I was going to touch on something with my training trivia from this week. You jumped me for the segue. No, no. You jumped me for the segue. I was going to use that as a springboard as well. <laughs> uh, with if you, I don't know if you can think back to when we were doing our interviews with the coaches, the assistant coaches, a couple of years back, mate. And they were talking about the role that the games and having fun played when BA first took over the coaching of Parramatta, and it had a lot to do with the way that the squad that was inherited felt about training and what a hard slog football had become given that they were the uh, two-time wooden spoon team and they introduced a lot of games they introduced fun into training to make the players to help the players enjoy turning up and preparing for the game mm -hmm. it wasn't wasn't so much a matter of eliminating hard work because the hard work was always going to have to be there, but they were going to have moments 
where they're going to enjoy themselves. What I was going to share was that those sorts of organised games from the coaches seem to have given way now to the players creating their own games and their own fun at training. It's not unusual to see when the players come out as part of their warm-ups, they're playing some sort of game. You can hear a lot of laughter, players enjoying themselves. And then likewise, when the, when the session is over, there's also likely to be some sort of game or enjoyment going on. Oftentimes it can be the, a kicking competition where they might be playing for some coffee or you know, a bottle of wine or uh, breakfasts or whatever the case may be. But the importance of fun is definitely there at, at something as, uh, as regular as training. So, uh, and there was, a, there was a moment that I have to share from last week. That, it happened at the captain's run. We know Fergo's going through this try-scoring drought. <laughs> they gave him his try-scoring moment in the captain's run, where, and bear in mind, there is no opposition at a captain's run, <laughs> but they worked that play over to his side, a switch of play over to the corner. Fergo goes over, and everyone bursts into applause. So I think, uh, I think his, his time's going to come soon but at least they're looking after it when they're training. So it was a good moment. Good moment. That's it. Now, can we uh, can we look ahead now to this week's team list predictions and maybe the game against the Sharks, mate? Well, before we do that, mate, I've got some exciting news for you and our listeners. During the past week, I've been contacted by the bloke who's responsible for the footy tipping service, Tackle in the Mail. It's my understanding that he's going to be providing tips and behind-the-scenes mail on his weekly appearances exclusive to the tip sheet. I've got to say, mate, I've actually never heard of him tackling the mail no never heard of him to be perfectly honest i'm not a punter you're the one that does the punting columns on tct so i'm not familiar with him either but he assures that he's the best in the biz so let's bring him in now he goes by name of mr o so welcome to the tip sheet mr o it's actually dr o didn't do five years of study at the mole institute of typology to call mr my apologies doc glad to have you on board as you should be not every day you get access to a service that's tipping at 100% for the season. Doc, I appreciate your involvement with our little podcast, but I do find a little bit hard to believe that anyone would be tipping at 100%. Did you actually predict the Warriors to beat the Tigers? I tipped that and the exact score. Really? And you tipped the Dogs beating the Knights last week? Subscribers to my service cleaned up big time on that game. And the first try scorers. No, look, I'm sorry. I do find that hard to believe, but we will give you the opportunity to provide a tip on next week's round for our listeners. Before we get to that, I do understand you've got some mail from around other clubs. That's right, gents. And I'm going to begin with huge news. My sources out in Sydney's eastern suburbs have informed me that Sonny Bill Williams has agreed to terms with the Roosters and will play for them before the end of the season. Seriously? And if that's not big enough news, how about this? Three clubs, I repeat, three clubs will be looking for a new coach for next year. Expect the Bulldogs, the Cowboys and the Warriors to make announcements over the next three months. Unbelievable. Mate, you must have some really special sources to come up with this mail. 
it doesn't end there, gents. Exclusively to your show, I can reveal that people in Brisbane are unhappy with Anthony Seabold. You didn't see that coming, did you? No, I can't say I did, mate. But enough of your news. How about a tip for next weekend's round for our listeners? Here's the best oil you get anywhere. Subscribe to my tipping service, Tackling the Mail, and at the special fee of $30,000 for the rest of the season, and I'll guarantee an immediate change to your bank account. Simply call. And that will do us. I think I like Salty better than the doc. Let's forget about his tips, mate, and get on for our own look at the week ahead. Okay, so team list predictions, first of all. And by the way, I'm lost for words after that appearance from uh, Dr. Well, o. We're lucky he didn't ask for a booking fee. That's all I'll say. Well, we'll see if we have him on again in the future. But uh, <laughs> if he's going to be after any money out of us for, for that mail, he might have another thing coming. But anyway. Might have bad luck of the Nigerian princess, mate. <laughs> the uh, seamless predictions for this week, you'd have to say that Brian Madison comes in. Yeah, I mean, Brad, Brad Arthur back. spoke strongly about that, saying that he passed all his concussion protocols, but given his recent history of concussions, they decided to err on the side of caution. So given there's another seven-day turnaround to the game against Cronulla, it made sense, didn't it? It did, it did. And if he comes in, then, of course, you have uh, Murata dropping back to the bench. Murata mm-hmm. then being able to play a middle role rather than an edge role. The only question becomes... Do we end up with uh, Tacker or Andy Davey in a bench spot? Does Ray Stone get given a bench spot back? Yeah, well, early mail this week that came out was that Stone is going to be in the mixture, right? So it does give you that three-way shootout for the the 17th spot in the team. It it does. It's a good spot to be back in at the moment. And I suppose it comes down to, for the rest of the season... Are we likely to keep the same bench or are we likely to head for a, maybe a horses for courses yeah, type well, arrangement? What's the, what's the priority? Do you want that super utility, which is Brad Takarangi? Do you want to be able to spell read a little bit to keep him fresher, which would be Ray Stone? Or do you want the, the guy that's probably playing the best form, given that Reed, uh, Reed, that Stone has been out for a month and a bit and Tacker sort of has a limited role on the team at the moment in uh, the big man, Andrew Davey? So. Yeah, interesting question. And uh, what what do you think BA will lean towards? I think they'll lean towards naming the exact same lineup as last week, which is Andy Davey at 14 mm-hmm. and the rest of the bench being uh, Kane Evans, uh, Murata, and uh, who am I missing there? Oh, of course, Oregon. And then I think you'll see uh, Tacker and Ray Stone named as 18 and 19. Yeah. That's my gut reaction at the moment. Are you thinking any differently? I, I tend to agree. I think that we'll go with the, essentially the team that was named on Team List Tuesday last week, plus Ray Stone in the extended bench. So, And looking ahead at the Sharks game, you'd have to say that the Sharks, or should I say the Newtown Jets, <laughs> performed quite well against the Broncos. However... Can you actually say that any team is performing well against the Broncos team? They, and they got, a, they they got made, out of jail a little bit against the, the um, Broncos as well. So not like we can poke, be you know, poke too much fun. Dinkum, let's be fair dinkum about 
the team that Cronulla trotted out. And it's no disrespect to them because, yes, they performed well. However, that was such limited first-grade experience that I can't, I can't understand how they could have been behind with only a few minutes left and the Broncos couldn't finally ice a game given the probably the salaries of the respective lineups that were out on the And field. all because young Tom did and didn't bring in that bouncing dropout that was tapped back and yep. he just stood out and looked at it and way grain to his credit chased through and created the upset from there, or upset, created the opportunity to win the game they should have been winning comfortably. So yeah, I don't want to poke too many fingers at him because we were pretty ordinary against the dogs, but they they've been um I think they won six out of our last seven, but that one that they did lose was an absolute blowout against Penrith. So they've been yeah. they've been beaten up on the lesser teams but haven't been able to punch up against the better teams. So it'd be interesting to see how this goes for us because the Sharks are another team that we I feel like we say this a fair bit because of Parramatta struggles in the last sort of ten years for the most part. The Sharks are another team that has caused us some grief during that run. So it would be good oh, to... We've had, some, we've had some ugly days, especially yeah. down there at Shark Park. That's right. So this would be a good chance for us to rectify the wrongs of the past. Um, we're going to be essentially at full strength. Um, minus, obviously, Penny Terepo, who'll be out and definitely still per the club. So no, there's no injury excuse, excuses for Parramatta here. And it's just about... We didn't get right across the, the sort of bye week we had last week. We just need to refocus now. Just um, get back to good fundamental gameplay and let the points and whatnot come from us pressuring the opposition into errors and into sort of poor form. I'd like to think that our forwards will make a win possible with the, their control, especially through the middle. Mm-hmm. If you have a look at anyone who's listening to this, if you haven't had a look at Colmack's heat maps from his stats post this week, the domination through the middle was still there in the game against the Bulldogs. The heat map showed the carries that were deep into the Bulldogs' half throughout the game. The work that, that we talk about the platform laid by the forwards, it was there in graphic colour in the heat maps. That hasn't changed very much all year. So... I'm expecting that they'll do the same against the Sharks. Of course, the the point is that the Sharks, maybe they can do just as well as what they've done. They've in actually got a, a fairly handy, handy front row rotation. Um, Braden Hamlin, Ueli, and the other one that's impressed me is Toby Rudolph. have been very good for them. I mean, Aaron Woods is Aaron Woods, but the other two have been quite good. And uh, But on that note, sort of speaking about the, the middles, I think two players that will be a lot better this week will be uh, Big Kane Evans and Oregon Kafusi, who both came back a little bit underdone, obviously, have been out for some time and hadn't played a game. So I think that Parramatta will both use them better this week and they'll also have more impact from the bench. Yeah, Oregon, in particular, looks very, very fit. He looks about the fittest that he's ever looked in his short career. One of his carries in particular is absolutely pumping the legs post-contact, mm. which... I really like seeing in any of the middle forwards just that extra effort to keep the keep those legs driving in contact is a big plus in my book. Yes, I think they'll get longer minutes. That can perhaps increase the impact from our starting props in their second stint. Uh, they will be coming back in with maybe fresher legs. You'd have to think where we'd be favoured for the win. But of yeah, course. we'll probably enter the game as favourites, but 
you know, that doesn't mean much come kickoff as we're well aware of as fans of the Eels. Um, are there any big ins that you're aware of that the Sharks are going to have this week? Um, they had CSFA Talakai have a pretty good job in centres for the uh, uh, Jesse Ramians. I'm not sure if Ramians due back. Where's the? Give me two secs. Let's see if I can dredge up some early mail for the contest. Uh, I think the players that they've had in there, so as I said, I've jokingly referred to them as the Newtown Jets. You'd have to still say that. They've yeah. done their job Early, and did their job quite well. That's right. Early mail does indicate that Moylan, Dugan and Ramian will all be in the mix for selection. So that sort of um, pushes, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, the, they had the rookie Braden Trindle. Um, Andrew Fafita is not meant to be back this week either. So, um, yeah, they could have a few reinforcements there, although of those three, I think Moylan's been so inconsistent this year, even when he's been on the park, Dugan's actually been surprisingly good for him, and Ramian's obviously a devastating centre, so could be um, some important ins for him. So Parramatta will have to be on their toes for sure. I'm not sure if I can remember, and I don't mean this disrespectful, but I, I can't remember a game where Dugan has stood out against us. No, in, in the, the head-to-head matchups, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I think maybe back to his days in Canberra, you'd have to go to find a game where he's been a standout performer against us back when he where was. Where I'm a, not going to dis. Where I'm not going to disagree with you at all is that he has been in reasonable form for the yeah, just, matches that he's got on the field. This just year. been really consistent. Um, something that's really plagued him for a few years now. So, just been that steady. Is his contract up? <laughs> Probably. If I were to punch in um, the NRL contracts and go to the Cronulla Sharks, would you find that Josh Dugan is off contract? Give me two seconds. So, just zip down to the Cronulla Sharks. Josh Dugan. Believe it or not, he is not. He's got a contracted until the end of 2021. So he's well, more, more kudos to him. Yeah, well done. So I suppose, you know, staying fit and just having the right attitude is huge for him. Well, mate, it's been good to chat again after another Eels victory. I take victories no matter what the circumstance, because these two points, they keep... Well, exactly. We've we've spoken about before. Is that at the end of the year you've yeah. got you've got two months to get yourself right for the finals, and every win you're banking there keeps you on the hunt for the minor premiership, which is a nice little sort of bow on on top of everything else. But it just keeps you, you know, if that second cho- um, bite at the cherry in the top four. So we're doing yeah. even if it's not pretty, we're doing it right. Still, we're getting the W's, and you know we're getting healthy. So everything is lining up now for us to just fix up our own sort of house get right and, and make a real tilt at this um, final se- series. Well, thanks thanks again, mate. It's uh, been another good tip sheet and I'm looking forward to seeing what the rest of the week has in store for fellow Eels. Yeah, thanks for stopping by and thanks to everyone who's listening and we'll catch you next week for the Round 13 review. See you guys.